Welcome to the What She Said podcast. My name is Candace Sampson. I am currently in the middle of divorce proceedings, working towards my psychology degree, dating for the first time in 20 years, raising three teenage girls, a senior dog, and two guinea pigs. And in the middle of all this, I thought it would be a good time to buy the What She Said media property. What could possibly go wrong? I've been in the trenches with women across Canada for over a decade now, oversharing on the Yummy Mummy Club, Life in Pleasantville, and on all my social media pages, and I totally do it for the gram. And now I'm coming to you on the radio at 105.9 The Region and on this podcast. Apparently, I have a lot to say. So let's get rolling. I was raised Catholic. Not devout Catholic, just kind of Catholic. Because my parents were Catholic and their parents were Catholic. I went to a Catholic school, attended church a couple of times a year, and took the sacraments. I never really loved God as much as I was afraid of God when I was younger. He seemed kind of vengeful to me. After I had children, I felt a brief pull to the church. I don't know what I was looking for. Community, maybe. Answers, perhaps. But no matter what it was, I didn't end up finding it. Now, I believe there is no God at all. Still, I'm intrigued by faith. Where does it come from? Why are people so convinced there is a God? And when it comes to organized religion, I am a complete cynic. Religion, in my mind, is different from faith. And although there are good lessons central to all religions, they also have been known to spread hate for centuries. So my next guest intrigued me. A friend pointed him out on Twitter to me, and his bio read, Jesus, Justice, and a Side of Jazz Hands. And I knew immediately I had to meet Reverend Daniel and find out more. Because how does a gay man come to have such deep faith in a religion? So much so that he wants to lead a flock. Welcome to the show. So I want to say Reverend Daniel, but you told me that I asked you if I should call you that and you said, no. Just call me Daniel. Just Daniel. Yeah. Okay. So do you get Reverend (laughs) Daniel like at church? I do. do. I mean, uh, my my congregation actually has, they they have different titles for me. Some people call me Father Daniel. Some people call me Reverend Daniel. Some people call me Pastor. They have- But not priest, right? Uh, well, priest is what I, the priest is what I am, the, the title, uh, and because Anglicans kind of, because Anglicanism kind of confirm, uh, is this sort of middle ground between Protestants and Catholics, you get people on both sides. So more Protestant Anglicans would never, ever say father and other, and more Catholics would. And, and right. of course we have women priests too. So that just throws in a whole other A mix. whole other yeah. wrench. Imagine a female. <laughs> That's why I think Daniel's just fine. Because <laughs> I know it's me. <laughs> so I, the reason I found you was uh, somebody on Facebook said to me, I should go follow you on Twitter. Right. And I did. Mm-hmm. And then I loved what you were sharing. <laughs> so I grew up, um, you know, Catholic. And I'm putting that in quotes because mm-hmm. I was just, I was kind of expected to be Catholic. Right. My parents were Catholic, their parents were Catholic, mm-hmm. I went to a Catholic school. And, you know, so um, I, I grew up with this sort of feeling that priests were not somebody you spoke to um, in, a, <laughs> in a casual way. Right. And a little yeah. bit of fear, right? Yeah. For, yeah. Catholicism has that, you know, confession yep. aspect of it where you feel like you're going in and 
you know, well, you're confessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was always sort of nervous around uh, priests. So when I saw your Twitter feed, I thought, this is unlike any sort of religious uh, leader or figure I've ever seen before, right. but but in a really good way. Okay, that's good to hear. Yeah, because I think I think the problem is for um, religion in general, and you can tell me if if I'm wrong, but I feel that the uh, church is losing people because they're not connecting with them. They're not. There's no common ground. Oh, for uh, sure. With people. I, yeah, and I mean, I think I, I think that's one of the when I started out on social media. I mean, you know, Twitter actually just completely like scared me because it just seemed so busy and so quick and I thought I what do you say on this um and and what I what I found was that that's exactly what people are looking for just something you know authentic and and just I, I thought to be on Twitter I had to be you know have some kind of expertise in something and and what I realized is that what people actually just want from me is is myself and you know uh, being a priest but also being openly gay and also being completely goofy and and stupid about things and uh, and and that's it's the human aspect of uh, being clergy but also just being a regular person and I think that's what people really were connecting with um, and I think that is what has been missing from from church um, right you know when my dad was when my dad was a child um, he would tell me about going to church and they would speak Latin right yeah and nobody in the, nobody in the congregation knew Latin mm-hmm. so it was sort of that um, you know they would just, well my dad said he would just go and fall asleep <laughs> But, you know, they would go every week and, and, you know, so, um, but I still think that 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 connection with people is missing uh, where you connect with um, church elders, church leaders Mm -hmm. uh, on that very human level, which is why I loved you on Twitter. So how long ago did you get on Twitter? Uh, I think, I think I've actually been on there about seven years I, um, although it doesn't seem that long, but yes, about seven years. But it's only in the last two that I think um, that my follower count suddenly just really started to expand. And then, of course, you get to a certain point, and everything you tweet suddenly gets a hundred retweet or th- hundreds of retweets. And um, uh, so that's where it's really grown. And that's that's when I really realized that this wasn't just sort of a hobby that I did in my spare time, but that it was actually could be. An extension of my ministry, um, which which sounds really lofty when I say it like that, but it, but it really it really has become that way. It's a it's a way of reaching people that you're never going to see in church and, and you're never going to connect with in, in in that kind of a way, but who are still looking for. Um, I think they want they want to talk to someone that's that's a pastor that uh, you know they may not even be religious themselves, but but they want to be able to talk to a clergy person that they're not afraid to to reach out to or feel that they're going to be judged by. Um, but it it does make my congregation suddenly that much bigger and. Yeah. Right. So that, I was going to ask you that. So that you said you you didn't expect you'd see any of those people in church, but actually, do you have you ever somebody from found you on Twitter yep. and then actually went to church? Yeah. Yeah. Um. We have. I have a few people who are regular uh, members of my congregation now who originally found me on Twitter, and then there's other people who they live too far away or they don't. They're not in our area, so it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense for them to drive every Sunday from where they live. But they have actually come out. Um, just to meet me and to say, you know, I follow you on Twitter and, and I just wanted to meet you in person. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we have gotten people, but that's not the, that's not the goal. I mean, for me, it's 
it's actually reaching people who you know are never going to come to not only my church, but to any church. And, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Um, but I still think that you can connect with them and still uh, provide a ministry for them, if I can use that loaded term. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think about my DMs on Twitter, which are like, Usually, random guys hitting on me and like. I get, oh, you know. I get that too. <laughs> <laughs> you would think this would stop it, but no, no, it does not. Oh, <laughs> it's a huge fetish thing for some people. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm not flattered. Okay, <laughs> okay so you get those as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I suspect you probably get some people reaching out with some questions oh, about. Totally, yeah. So do you take the time to do that, to answer people mm-hmm. there as well and, and talk to them about the questions that they may have about their faith or yep. religion or or in particular being gay? Yeah. And that's where a lot of the questions I get, um, I think a lot of the DMs I get that, you know, aren't guys hitting on you and <laughs> sending you photos you didn't ask for, um, you know, at least introduce yourself yeah, first. That's I know, what really. I say. But anyway, um, but but yeah, no, I, I think a lot of the, the DMs I get are from people who um, often are, are struggling either with their own sexuality or or they're fine being gay, but they're struggling with the church. Uh, and because their faith is as much a part of their their identity as their sexuality. And and from both the church and also, you know, from secular culture, maybe even some of their gay friends, they're they're being told, you know, part of you doesn't fit and part of you you need to reject. Right. Um, and and I think what what people are seeing in me is, is you seem to have reconciled these things. You know, how do you do that? Uh, and my answer to them is always I, I, I don't have to reconcile it. It, it, it it's recon- like I am the reconciliation, right? Um, I would say God's already reconciled those things. Um, it's just about living that out. Um, but I, I get a lot of questions from people who, you know, a lot other countries or particularly in the Bible Belt of the United States where, you know, where being Christian and going to church is a huge part of not only their personal identity, but their cultural identity. And there is no church that they can find nearby where they they could go and be gay and that would be fine. Um, And so to be able to talk to somebody about like, what do I do with these Bible passages? Or how do I how do I say to my family, you know, that I'm, you know, come out to them, um, but that my faith still means something to me. Or, um, you know, I, I need to get out of my fundamentalist evangelical church. I'd like to find a more progressive one. Could you help me? So, I mean, one of the things I've actually done a lot of lately is help connect people with other communities um, in their area where they can be who they are uh, and still practice their faith, uh, but find a community that's going to be welcoming and accepting. Um, and I don't know every church there is in every state, but but when you have a lot of followers, you just, you know, you can put out a tweet and say, does anyone have recommendations? And so suddenly it's kind of like, I feel like I'm matchmaking a lot of the times for for people who are looking for, if not a church, at least just a community of people that they can talk to that will accept all of who they are. Right. So, yeah. So let's go back to young Daniel. Okay. Uh, were you always, <laughs> were you raised in a very religious home? Was you... Um, no, my, I mean, my parents were, you know, they were Anglicans. Uh, they were mainline Protestants, so, you know, not super religious. It was Christmas and Easter and a few other times a year. Um, but so, I mean, it was, so it was always there, but it wasn't, my parents weren't super religious. Um, but I guess the, the, the positive side of that was that it wasn't, I never, I wasn't raised in a church where being Christian also meant you were against certain people, right? Like my parents had gay friends. I mean, 
you know, they were of that generation. You didn't talk about it, uh, you know, but but I certainly got the sense that they weren't ashamed or judgmental of, of people for that. Um, uh, and, and the church I grew up in, I mean, the worst thing I could say about it was that I found it boring sometimes, but I certainly never heard hate or judgment preached, even from, you know, my, my old minister at the time. Um, you know, it was about love. It was about community. It was about so that's those kind a really, of values. That's a really different narrative than I think a lot of, of young gay people would have heard in their churches. Yes, which is something that, that it, it's... It, it took me a while to realize that, that, that my experience was actually fairly unique. And, and, and that's what makes me sad because, you know, I, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, and even before my church that I'm part of now officially became accepting and open, it still, I still didn't get, I, I didn't get sort of a heavy handed, um, you know, sin and damnation, fire and brimstone kind of experience of religion. So I was always surprised that, that so many people, were so turned off by their faith and by church. And because I would think, well, yeah, it can be boring sometimes, but it's not mm-hmm. that bad. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, and then you start talking to people about what their experiences actually were and you realize, oh, no, that that can it can be horrible. Right. Um, so I think I think, you know, there's a faith and, and religion are sort of they're often confused, but they're really two very separate things. There's a faith in a in a mm-hmm. in a higher being. Mm-hmm. And then there's organized religion, yeah. which I think people are you know, understandably mm-hmm. cynical of. Oh, totally, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, ca- you know, like I said, I'm Catholic. I am so cynical when it comes to the Catholic mm-hmm. uh, Church. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, and I'm a big fan of of the Pope right now. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of him. I think he's progressive. Mm-hmm. I think it's nice to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still, you know, I'm pretty cynical about the Church. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that that's why people are sort of pushing the Church away a little oh, bit. Oh, I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. So when yeah. I so. You you grew up you you know not really devout or strict in your religion. So what drew you <laughs> to to this? You know to to want to do this. I mean right. again, it's an institution that has in the past mm-hmm. um, and still does in a lot of places mm-hmm. uh, treat uh, the LGB, LGBTQ community and women yes. very poorly. Yep. So yep. what drew you to the church? I, I mean, short answer, God. <laughs> so that's the faith. Uh, well, yeah, and you know, you you made the comment, um, you know, faith and religion are two very separate things, and yeah, and yes, they they can be. Uh, for me, they're they're not, and and they shouldn't be. And by that, I don't mean in order to have faith, you have to be part of a, an organized religion. But I think that the point of organized religion is should be to help people engage with their faith. And it I know that it doesn't. It often mm-hmm. fails to do that. And the the institution gets in the way. Um, but at its best, that's that I think is what religion is supposed to be. It's about helping people engage their faith. And, and again, not just in an ind- individualistic way, because faith is very personal, but it's not it's not meant to be just an individual journey. I think it's a journey that you make with with a community and and religion is supposed to be about people connecting with one another and supporting one another in the living out of their faith. So it's a it's a community um, as well. It should be a community and not just an institution. But of course, we've you know, we, we want we have to organize things and we have to control things. And, and I think the, the big mistake the church made was that it, it um you know, the, the Roman Empire fell and the church <laughs> took over. And and what yeah. should have been sort of in opposition to everything the empire stood for, the church kind of became that. 
mm-hmm. we're still living with the we're still living with the legacy of that, where it's not about um, power for people; it's about power over people. It's not about empowering and encouraging people; it's about controlling people. Um, and you know, and I think people are right to reject that. And I think. I think the church is dying in many ways. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of parishioners that worry about that constantly. And I, I'm not so worried because I think if it's dying, I think there's things that God wants to die, you know. But but as a Christian, oh, that's interesting. I also believe in resurrection. So, you know, what what is maybe being reborn out of that death? Um, how is God maybe pruning this plant so so it actually starts, you know, growing the way it was meant to be? So that's really that's a very interesting uh, way to look at it. I hadn't thought of it that way that, mm. you know, perhaps this is part of the master plan. Maybe. Well, I, I have to believe there's a master plan. Right. I, I don't know? necessarily know what that is. I know. But. And so this is like I, I so I don't believe in a God. And so mm. I struggle with that, um, that there's a, you know, a blur, uh, I guess a greater being uh, who is sort of moving all the pieces around on the chessboard. I I, I don't mm. know that I believe that necessarily, but when you say it the way you just did about you know maybe there is a you know this is all part of the plan. I um, I think there's an end goal. I don't I don't know that I I don't necessarily believe in a god that's moving pieces around like on a chessboard, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we we have free will, and I think we 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 make choices and and we have the consequences of those choices and we impact one another all the time and you know and I I don't believe in a god that just sort of you know treats us all like puppets on a string because then well then he's also a cruel god because you look at all the people who are suffering yeah and you you ask yourself why why am I not when Mm -hmm. these people are suffering so so yeah so it's not like that right no I don't I don't see a god I don't see god that way um but I think you know, it's sort of like um, you know Martin Luther King's com- uh, you know famous statement about you know the um, the arc of the universe bends towards justice, and I, I believe that, but but I think we we get in the way of that, you know, um, okay. a lot. So there's a survey done. Um, uh, Pew Research did a survey. It said two thirds of Canadians mm-hmm. say it is not necessary to believe in God in order to be moral and have good values. Mm-hmm. So. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's true, or do you think religion oh, religion helps us have morals, or is it, um, yeah? How do you think that all plays together? I think religion, um, you know, I think religion is is again, it, it's about because it's about community, it's about people, it's a collective thing. It's, it, um, so I think societies uh, in the past have religion has helped communities decide what what's moral and 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 you know, what the norms are around that. Um, but no, I don't think, I don't think a person has to believe in God to be good. Um, but I, but I also think that if your religion is getting in the way of you being good and moral, there's a problem with the religion. Or if you're high, yeah. Or if you're hiding behind your religion in order to be, you know, sexist or, or hateful. Yeah. I think we use it to justify a lot of our own, um, you know, a, a lot of our own evils and, and injustice. Um, and that's part of the issue that people have with the institution is that on an institutional level, the church has often used its power to justify things that we we instinctively know aren't good. You know, whether you believe in God or not, I think there's things that we just, we as human beings, we know when something is unjust or unfair and when the church or any power, government or whatever, is using power to justify that, we, we know that that's wrong. Um, and I think a lot of people, 
you know, recognize that there's, uh, there is a, a, a gap between, you know, the, the gospel, the, the, what Jesus was teaching and talking about and what they see being practiced in the name, in his name. And they have a, there's a huge problem with that and there should be. Um, and I think it's good that there is pushback on that. Why are you not living out to what you're preaching? Exactly. So, so you, you were ordained as a minister 22 years ago. 22 years ago in May. Okay. So Alex and I were talking about this on the way into the studio this morning because we were saying 22 years ago, wasn't there still a lot of pushback in the church about this 22 years ago? So were you openly out as gay when you were first ordained or? I was. Okay. Um, I came out in seminary. Um, my first boyfriend was a priest <laughs> who had broken up with his girlfriend who was the daughter of the bishop. I'm all very... <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, whoa. I like, I like to do things dramatically. <laughs> it's, that, it's all very that thorn birds. One, that that 100% needs to be like a Netflix series or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm on Twitter. I'm hoping to get picked up by a producer. That is a great um, story. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I so I I, I came out in in seminary and the and the thing is is I you know my my uh, my classmates my my professors uh, the the priest at the church that I was doing an internship in I mean they were all very supportive so um, you know I had a lot of support within the church even though while I knew that officially the church was still um, struggling with this mm-hmm. and at that time I really thought and it's hard to sort of look back now and think think about this but. I remember thinking at the time, the best that I can hope for is to get into a congregation where they'll agree to not ask. I won't tell. We'll all know, but nobody will say anything. I'll have a friend that I go and see sometimes on weekends and spend holidays with, and nobody will ask me any questions about that. And that's just the best that that will happen. Um, I mean, I couldn't, uh, even outside the church, I couldn't at that point have foreseen that you could have a partner and get married, even like civilly, right? Mm. Um, Yeah, uh, because the gay marriage uh, was 2005. Yeah. Right? So, so, yeah, this was before that. So it was, I mean, it was all being talked about. Even in the church, there was, there was, there was, there were then even then people advocating for LGBT equality and, and, you know, we should recognize gay, gay relationships, but knowing how long the church takes to, to do anything, Mm -hmm. um, I thought this is never going to happen in my lifetime. I might be part of the conversation, but, but things have, have happened quite quickly. Um, and, and. You know, not fast enough for some people, and there's still lots of things that needs to change. Um, but I can't believe where the church is now compared to the church that I uh, first entered as an ordained person. So let's just talk about the Anglican Church yeah. for a second. So so what is the official stand of the Anglican Church then? So the Anglican Church of Canada, uh, because unlike the Roman Catholic Church, there each national church is sort of its own separate thing, right? Um, uh, so there's a worldwide Anglican communion of churches that are connected to one another, but they will have different rules. So some Anglican churches still don't ordain women. Um, some Anglican churches, especially in Africa and the global south, are still very, you know, homophobic. Um, um, uh, so, but the, so when I speak about the Anglican Church, I'm talking about the Anglican Church of Canada, uh, particularly, and their official position is that um, same-sex marriage uh, it has been recognized, um, and so within individual dioceses, um, the, the bishops of those dioceses 
are in the process of sort of deciding how that's going to be dealt with in their diocese. So, so the church, the, the Anglican Church of Canada officially rejected changing the definition of marriage um, last summer at their general synod, which is sort of the national body, um, which shocked a lot of people because everyone thought that it would go towards actually changing the definition because that seemed to be, but you needed so many votes in the House of Bishops and so many votes amongst the House of Clergy and so many votes amongst the lay people and it had to be, and it had to be passed by a certain percentage and it didn't pass in the House of Bishops. So a couple of votes in the House of Bishops kept. So the old, the old guys. Yeah. Like holding up everything else in society. Although the majority of Anglicans, <laughs> you know, at that, you know, the majority voted in favor of, but um, there weren't enough bishops in support. So nationally, the church did not change the definition of marriage, but what they did agree to was that uh, on what, what they call the local option, which is that bishops within their own diocese have the right to uh, allow for same-sex marriage. So it's a bit confusing because the, right. the message that went out from the church uh, to the media was Anglicans reject same-sex marriage. But the reality is, is most, most of the churches through most of the diocese are actually accepting of it or, or, or prepared to make changes to adapt to it. So it's a very mixed, it's a very confusing message that's gone out. But that's exactly the organized, that's the institution for you, right? Right. That's, and this is the stuff that you are, like, you must have been quite disappointed when that when that was decided, you know, a, yeah. as a gay married man yep. who, you know, frequently talks to people about, you know, who are gay and to come to the church and, yep. and you know, and so then you're... And people get the impression from talking to me that, oh, your church is totally cool with this. And then the message that went out was, no, we're not. And I, so I felt like I, yeah, I felt like I had sort of um, led people on, you know, in a way. Um, and I, I, the Sunday after that vote, I, I had to, I, I wrote a letter really to my congregation, which I read out at the end of the service, which basically said, you know, I, I'm choosing to stay, but I have to make that choice. This isn't uh, like I'm the way I'm feeling right now is I feel like I've been kicked in the teeth again by my own church. Um, and, uh, but the church is more than just the bishops. It's more than just the hierarchy. It's it's those congregations. It's those local communities that are full of loving, supportive people who love me and my husband and have been totally welcoming. And, and I have to remember that that's the church and those that's the church that I'm serving. So let's talk about that, your church. Mm -hmm. So when you uh, first became a reverend there, mm -hmm. did you receive pushback mm -hmm. within that community? Yep. <laughs> and how, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I know you did even asking this question, yeah. but what what was that like for you? That must have been um, hard to overcome, especially being yeah. having to stand up in front of people who you knew were not su necessarily supportive of you. Well, when I first went there, I I, I was invited to to come and help out by the priest that was there at the time. I was I, I went as the associate, really. And I. When I got there, I thought, you know, I'm only here for a little while to help out. I won't be staying very long. And then they decided that they liked me and they wanted to hire me full time. Uh, and that happened right at the same time that my then uh, partner and I were getting married. And so I thought, well, I just made a lifelong commitment to him. I'm making a commitment to this congregation. They need to know about each other and I need to be open with everybody because uh, if I'm going to stay here, they need to know who I am. And I mean, you know, there were people that I'd already guessed and kind of knew, and there were people that didn't 
thought we'd agreed we were never going to talk about it. <laughs> and, and some people that totally were blown away. And I was like, really? Like how? But how anyway, did you not know? How did you not know? The, like the jazz hands every Sunday. But anyway, um, I guess I wasn't jazz handsy enough. Uh, so, you know, I, I again, I, I stood up at the end of, of the service um, the Sunday after my wedding. And I, I came out to them. And what surprised me was, you know, this was, this was years and years and years after being out, right? I'd been out my whole life at that point. Um, and and it, what surprised me was how scared I was. And I thought, I can't believe this is still so scary. And it shouldn't be. In a perfect world, it would be almost like, you know, you would get up and say, I'm gay. And people would go, oh, yawn. Yeah. You know, that's so yeah. boring. And some people did. Yeah. Some people did. Um, but but some people were not happy with it. Um, what happened at the end of that, though, was, is, you know, there was this pause. This was silence. And it was like maybe two seconds. But to me, it felt like half an, an hour. An eternity, right? Yeah. And, uh, and all of a sudden, people, they all stood up. And the entire congregation stood up and and applauded, and they sort of poured into the aisle, and they all came up to hug me. And I remember one of my youth group members was like crying because she thought when I went to read a letter, it was to say I'm leaving, right? So she was very happy that I was staying. But I remember even as she was hugging me, and all these people were coming up to congratulate me and tell me how brave I was. I remember looking over their heads, and I could see some people slipping out the back door, right? And, and there were some people that didn't come back, uh, but there were a number of people who were really struggling with it and thought, like, we really like you, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and we think you're a great priest, but but we don't, we're not comfortable with this whole same-sex marriage thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, how about we just kind of keep walking together? How about you get to know me, I get to know you, we keep talking about what we think and why we think that, um, and we'll see how it goes. And maybe you'll decide you can't stay, or maybe I I'll love, decide I can't I stay. I love that, that you just said this. Why don't we keep walking together? Well, and to me, that's, that's what so the church great. should be, right? Uh, because we've, we, we have, any community is going to have disagreements on all kinds of things, right? Um, and we still do. Um, but I, I, there, there's one, there was one woman in particular, and you know, she's, very, she's very evangelical in her faith. Like she comes from that kind of Baptist background. And I knew, you know, she, she and I got along great, but I thought, when I come out, you are not going to be okay with this. And, and it kind of broke my heart because I, like, I really love her and, and I like having her around. And I knew, I thought she's going to leave. And she did leave for a bit. She didn't come for a while. And then one day she sort of was outside my, my office door and she's like, can we talk? So, you know, that began a whole lot of conversations about the Bible and about what do you do with this and and help me to understand that and uh, what is marriage to you and and all these things. And um, eventually she just, she decided to stay. And I remember uh, that Christmas, I got a Christmas card from her and I opened it up and it said, you know, to Daniel, Father Daniel and his husband, you know, and I just thought, I'm still not sure she's completely comfortable when she wrote that, but she wrote it. You yeah, know? but you know, you you've you've changed the hearts and mind of one person who will then go on to change the hearts and mind yeah. of somebody else, right? Which is so that's just what it should be. And this is what I say to people on Twitter all the time when they they DM me, like, what do I say to my family and how do I tell my you know, how do I argue with people? And I'm like, you can't. You you I've never argued anybody by debating Bible passages with them to change their mind. What what you do is you if you're able to remain in some kind of relationship with them and let them experience you and your life as a person, that's what changes their heart. And when their heart changes, then they're willing to change their mind. Um, and if they're not, 
you know, you've done all you can, right? You shake the dust from your feet and you move on. Um, and, and there's some people that just won't be changed. But I think people are changed by people. They're not changed by arguments. So I want to come back to social media uh, mm-hmm. before we wrap this up a little bit, because you're in church and I imagine your sermons at church have to be proper. Uh, you know, proper-ish. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming to a sermon now, by yeah, the way. <laughs> Mine are actually fairly tame, actually. Uh, I think people on Twitter think that I'm far more, uh, yeah, well, salty so, than I am. So your your <laughs> congregation, yeah. how do they reconcile, you know, Twitter you with church you? Well, most of them aren't on Twitter, <laughs> which they, is probably they, why I still have a job. Are they aware of your Twitter account? Uh, some are, but I mean, a lot of them, the, the thing is, is I've got a lot of older people in my congregation, so they're not really on social media, period. They know about it, but right. they don't understand how big it is. Um, I've, I, but I've got, yeah, I've got some parishioners that are, um, but I, I try to be... And this, see, and this is where I get into, um, this is where I, I, I sometimes differ from my, some of my colleagues who have very strict rules about social media. And, and yes, there should be. I mean, strict what you share. Strict self-imposed rules? Yes. And okay. I would not talk about that and I would not share this. And, and you Because know. you have more followers on Twitter than your church has. Oh, Totally. I, I, I mean, if like every member, every person that follows me on Twitter would just send me one dollar, you know, a month. I my budget issues would be totally gone. Um, but uh, yeah, but I try to be who I am in the pulpit and on Twitter. And yes, I mean, when I'm talking to a, 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 a congregation of mainly older people on Sunday, I mean, how I say things, you have to know your audience, right? But I think that I'm always myself and I try to be authentic to who I am regardless of the situation so that you don't run into that problem of someone saying, well, you seem to be this way on social media, but then this is how, what I experienced in church. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like to think that wherever you experience me, that's you're going to get the same thing. Right. So what I end up, you know, I close out every show uh, with, you know, make sure you're following me on what at what she said, talk on all right. these. And so you don't end the sermon with go follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Right. Depends on what I've said in the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're amazing. I love what you're doing. Um, I really love that you did the Dolly Parton challenge on IG. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a few things that I that, I mean my bishop has called me a couple times and went, mm, what were you Man, thinking? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm still I'm still employed, so Well, yeah. I think you're doing an amazing job. You're keeping the the church accessible for people and people <laughs> wanting to come and it, you're you're totally open to people asking questions. Mm-hmm. So people should follow you where on Twitter? Uh, at Rev Daniel. Keep in mind every once in a while because I get overwhelmed psychologically, I delete all my tweets and I start all over again. So right now you might not see a whole lot on there but give me two days and it'll be 300 <laughs> new tweets so <laughs> amazing okay and then can they follow you on ig uh yeah uh, daniel d brereton okay fabulous thank you so much for joining me today thanks for having me hi i'm steve yurko and i'm tara sands now available from maji media is our new podcast for kids flashback Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. 
and thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.